Hello and welcome to the IOTICS podcast, where we're talking to inspiring humans who are not just doing things differently, but doing different things to make their world, and by extension ours, a better place. We'll explore how they are bringing people and technology together to solve complex challenges today. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Ellie Howe from Portsmouth International Port. She's the environmental and sustainability coordinator there, and she is fantastic. This episode is probably one of my personal favorites. The journey that she has been on and the personal mission and drive she has to make a difference and see how she can contribute to solutions is just awesome. Not only are they doing interesting things at Portsmouth to address net zero and meet some interesting challenges around zero emissions, but she's making a real difference herself and sees the role that she and others can play in taking the steps towards solving complex challenges by just getting out there and doing it. This one is just fantastic. It is inspirational from start to finish. And if you can, follow Ellie Howe on LinkedIn, get involved and listen, and join her on her quest. It is well worth the journey. So Portsmouth International Port is a municipal port, um, which means we're owned by the council. Um, There's not many municipal ports left in the UK. I think us, Sunderland, and perhaps a handful of others. Um, We are predominantly a ferry port. We're we're up there as the... uh, best connected international port in the UK because we have direct access to the motorway for people coming on and off um, and we service routes in France and Spain. Um, so our biggest customer is Brittany Ferries and then we also do a lifeline service um, to the Channel Islands with Condor. Uh, we have a lot of freight coming in and out of the port. We have cruise liners coming in and out of the port and then we also operate out of the um, port area, Portico, which is more international bulk um, and goods. It's a classic, 70% of the UK's bananas come through Portsmouth International Port. 70% of the UK's bananas? That's correct. Excellent. My kids will be delighted to discover that that's where bananas come from. Portsmouth. Portico, yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And um, on the municipal port piece, uh, you, Sunderland, handful, are you... One of the largest, one of the small, like where do you sit on in terms of scale as a port? The land area, we're really quite petite as yeah. a port. I think we're like 60 acres or something like that. And if you look at other ports in the UK, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of acres of land. Um, so we're actually quite small. And we obviously know each other because Iotics and PIP, have, I'm going to keep using PIP going mm-hmm. forward just to save myself. Um, the syllables. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um Pip and Pip and Iotics have done some work together, but the thing that really interests me about Pip is the scale of your goals and targets and objectives. Mm-hmm. Just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. So back in 2019, um, Portsmouth City Council, like many councils across the UK, declared a climate emergency, and around that time, the Portsmouth International Port, because we're owned by the council, we decided to align our goals and objectives. With, with the local council. So we've set out to be um, carbon net zero by 2030 um, and then the first emissions-free port by 2050. And the local council have obviously pledged also to be net zero by 2030 as well. So not that far away. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible how it creeps up on you. Mm-hmm. And being the first emission-free port mm-hmm. by 2050, is that globally an emission-free port? I would think so. Um, So a lot of the European regulation that's coming out is all about being net zero by 2050 and in the UK, of course. Um, We're obviously trying to achieve a lot more in that time. 
Wow. And and what are the challenges with that? Because, I mean, it sounds uh, ambitious enough mm-hmm. without knowing the specifics of the challenges that you face in, in getting there. Oh, no, absolutely. So I only joined the port, gosh, I think it's seven months ago today, actually, I joined the port. So I've not been there very long. Um, and every day you're learning about a different process or a different customer or a different procedure. And you think to yourself, right, that's going to add to my missions. I'm going to have to do something to consider that aspect of our business. So it is quite a big challenge that you're up against. We follow the standard greenhouse gas protocol, you know, um, that was set out with scopes one, two and three. And the next big chunk of my work that I'll be focusing a lot of time and energy and money into is planning out a full decarbonisation strategy at the port because we really need to understand the scale of the problem first before we can just start going off and saying this is going to save emissions and this is going to improve our air quality and all of those brilliant things that we're up to um but we need we need a more strategic approach to it so that's that's the next big chunk so hopefully next time i'm on the podcast i might have a better understanding (laughs) and and am i right in that while you're trying to reach these targets and and it's because it's not just reducing emissions it's also improving air quality and and going there the the port itself is also growing yeah has has ambition ambitious commercial targets as no well. no absolutely and and part of the decarbonization strategy is how can we set out scientific scientifically backed decarbonization goals that also align to our strategic ambitions because we're really limited with the capacity and the size of the port so one of the questions that we ask ourselves is well are we using what land we have in the most sensible way um or you know how can we improve our processes so that if freight is coming on and off the port are we processing it in the best possible way and we're lucky because obviously with our connection with the local council we can really talk to them a lot and demonstrate our value to the local economy in Portsmouth and uh, the wider UK um, community um, and hopefully work with them to align our ambitions. It's difficult, it's so hard because you look at the challenges that people in Portsmouth face, it's a super, super densely populated city and you're trying to have you know, an expansive green infrastructure, you've got the challenges of biodiversity net gain coming in, you need new houses, you need new schools, all of those kind of um, battling, what's the word, objectives against each other. And we are wanting to expand also. And we're also wanting to take land so that we can grow our business. And it's just trying to find the right balance. And that that competing priorities thing is all very well in the abstract. But one of the things that we know from personal experience is that Portsmouth have actually started doing things I mean rather than waiting until you think you have the perfect answer Mm -hmm. you start doing a journey and the thing that uh, you Portsmouth International Port and IOTICS worked on um, I realise there's a slight shout out here to our colleagues because Mm -hmm. actually you and I weren't there at the origination of it um, we will take take all the glory that's absolutely fine (laughs) Um, but so we worked on a project called Sea Shape could you just Give me a bit of an outline and an overview. Of that. Yeah, of course. So Shape UK um, was, came out of the Clean Maritime demonstration call round one of funding. Um, and it was quite a large project involving a couple of universities, IOTICS, Barter for Things. And the idea was to be able to demonstrate a hydrogen retrofitted engine um, on a small vessel. Um, and have that at the port and produce hydrogen at the port. 
And so the way that IOTICS and the port came into play was that we needed a digital twin solution to be able to have the hydrogen electrolyzer talk to us and let us know when hydrogen was available so that we could refuel the vessel. And within that project, we also implemented five air quality monitors around the port because we were really interested to understand what the local air quality was like. If you go back to Portsmouth City Council, they implemented a clean air zone across the city a few years ago. So poor air quality definitely has negative impacts on communities across the city and we're close to the Nelson Ward and the Charles Dickens Ward in where we are at the port and we have a primary school 500 metres away from where we are and Charles Dickens, they they were the ward with the poorest health outcomes across the entire city. So whilst we can't say that we're fully responsible, we'd have a moral obligation to improve our air quality for the people who live locally to us. So we wanted to really understand what it looked like to begin with and that's where it all came out of the Shape UK project, amongst other things as well, of course. Perfect. So so just to unpack this a bit, because there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, so for Shape UK, you were looking at, um, so first of all, on the, towards the objectives and of reducing emissions and, and, and getting towards net zero, you were looking at uh, retrofitted hydrogen-powered boats. Yep. Right? And so that was NGAS and Cox Powertrain working right. on that together excellent and then you're also then saying okay well and you you mentioned it earlier about we need to establish a baseline like what's going on and what's happening so we've also got people like barter for things doing air quality yeah and the local university as well university of portsmouth i think were involved with helping us establish what our emissions were for the years 2018 and 2019 as well and then correlating that back to the air quality information so you've got all these separate entities you know seven or eight different organizations all of whom have some data and some information about how they're operating and what they're doing, but also needing to share with each other so that Portsmouth can have a view, but they also can all see how they're doing and how they're performing and so on. From Portsmouth, was there an impression that there was resistance from those individuals to that sharing at all? So from my understanding i think there was a little bit of resistance in the beginning um and there was a compromise that was made between two of the parties for what information we could share between the hydrogen electrolyzer and when hydrogen would be available for the vessel that's my basic understanding awesome so i mean the thing i love about this is that obviously it fits perfectly into kind of iotic's view of the world Mm -hmm. because you know people need to cooperate together they need to be able to share information and receive information mm-hmm. um, but you don't want to necessarily share everything with everyone all the time so some of it you may only want to share for specific purposes or at specific times um, yeah. and also some of it um, you might it might be crucial and, and very very sensitive for your operations but I can share a little bit with you in order to help with these as, I mean, the moral point about, you know, there's a, there's a primary school 500 metres away, like yeah. w- we need to do better. Mm-hmm. It's great. And so having having done this, and, and I happen to know from having talked to our team that um, each of the organisations had their own space and they had uh, twins, these kind of virtual representations of their data, they're all sharing. What was what was the impact of doing that? I mean, how did it help once they were sharing information with each other? What did you see 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the huge values that I take away from the project, and like we said earlier, whilst I wasn't involved with it, I can still reap the rewards of Shape UK (laughs) because we still have access to the digital twin space. So I get to see my air quality monitors in action every single day and really start to understand the different trends in the data. So I'll log on every one or two days and have a look at what's been going on across my air quality monitors at the port at different berths. And After a little while, you do get used to what the normal levels of either PM 2.5 or PM 10 or, um, you know, carbon and carbon dioxide and all of those different parts that it's being measured. And you get to understand what the averages are. Um, So when there is a spike, it really it really just screams out to you on the page. You're like, oh, that's a bit bizarre. Let's have a little look into that. And we can go in and we can have a look at the ships coming in and out during that day. And I can even go on my CCTV and I can see a big old dirty ship powering up just a few minutes before I've had a spike in a certain type of emission. So for me, this is brilliant because I'm going to be able to start identifying when poor air quality is happening and be able to open lines of communication with our customers and say, are you aware of the impact of what this is having on Portsmouth local air quality um, in in and around the port? Um, And what my aim and what my ambition is in the future is just to open up those lines of communication so that we can start working together on ways in which we can reduce those pollutants in and around the port. I love that. And I love that you're talking about opening lines of communication mm-hmm. so this isn't about weaponizing data it's no. not about punishing people and and saying oh we've seen these uh, particulates per mm-hmm. million the kind of mm-hmm. two point pm 2.5 and pm 10 we, we're not it's not okay i've seen a spike in this you know come get your knuckles wrapped oh it, no absolutely not because it could be it could be that there was something wrong with their vessel it could be that their maintenance schedule wasn't up to date it could be that a scrubber wasn't working you know it could be something quite innocent to be honest um but how will they know unless we unless we tell them but i think i think this notion that you're getting to a point where you can intervene if if not in real time then at least right time of saying actually you have you know you've missed a maintenance potentially you've missed a maintenance problem there is something coming from your engine we can come to you directly and say you want to have a look at this because they'll have their own performance targets right around Absolutely. emissions and so on and saying we can help you by identifying that something has gone wrong here mm-hmm. uh, or might have gone wrong. Uh, it really struck me that in a lot of these conversations around greenhouse gases and, and how we can look at things, there's obviously a tendency to move towards complexity. So, mm-hmm. well, we need to gather all the data into a huge data warehouse and then run a whole bunch of analytics against it. And then we'll come up with a trend you know, six months from now, which will tell you what the world looked like half a year ago or a year ago or whatever else. And what you're saying is that by being able to access the right information, you can actually start doing that pattern recognition. Before you do the huge data analysis piece, you can start doing the pattern recognition and saying, well, that just isn't right. That that isn't, in inverted commas, normal. Something's gone awry here. Let's look into that further and then get the additional information you need. Yeah, absolutely. And that that feels like a step change in behaviours. Yeah, well, good. Well, I'm Excellent. glad that we're doing it. <laughs> and in addition to the impact kind of at that uh, data level, have you seen other impacts uh, either around the port or inside uh, the PIP team? Yeah. So in my time at the port, um, there has been a lot of conversation around the, well, what else can we learn about 
our processes or the way that we do business and how can we streamline it and make it easier or better or work in a different way. Um, and I suppose quite a good example of that is with our DPOM, so their duty port operation managers. Um, so they help with the day-to-day running of the entire port and they're brilliant people to be able to go and talk to because they know everything. Um, you know, they've, they've done so many different jobs at the port, they just know how everything works. And a question was raised about whether or not we can improve the way that we handle freight in and around the port. And so recently we joined as a partner in the Freight Innovation Fund, which was a accelerator um, ran by the Catapult, I think on behalf of Innovate UK or the DFT, actually. And um, we've been partnered up with a firm called Estudio Cactus um, because they were able to offer a solution for us to help with improving freight logistics and health and safety across the port. And I genuinely don't think without those conversations around the benefits of the digital twin and what came out of Shape UK and other projects before that those conversations would have happened otherwise. And everyone is really looking to what digital solutions are out there that we can take advantage of or that we can use and have it benefit everyone in the port. I think I think the fact that you've got to a point where there's now a pull mm. for for digital solutions as opposed to what I think we've seen in a lot of industries is a push. You know, you have yeah. a small group of innovators at the edge saying this is cool, yeah, this will be transformative. Yeah. And then you have you know the equivalents of the DPOMs in other mm-hmm. industries sat there going, "Uh-huh. Cool." Like yeah, well, we know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. I have all this tacit knowledge already. Mm-hmm. I understand how it all fits together. Why am I looking at more screens or more dashboards? So to have shifted to a pull point where people say, okay, well, I can see that this is flexible and extensible and can mm-hmm. do more things. What about, wouldn't it be great if, um, couldn't I just? Yeah. And those, those are great opening lines. Oh, no, totally. And I feel like as well, without our port director, so our port director is, a chap called Mike Sellers and he's been there about five years I think and everyone who I talked to at the port has said that so much has changed since he came um, that you're able to have those conversations and you're able to get involved with those sorts of projects and say okay well if you think that solution will work you can come and you can try it out on our port um, there are you know we have operational duties and we have customers and we have our own things that we have to look after at the port but that doesn't stop them from trying these new types of solutions at the port, which I think is a really, really good thing. And and one of the things that I'm aware of with um, what was done with Shape UK is, is the kind of longevity of it, that, mm-hmm. you know, it can be changed and adapted oh, and, yeah. and, and moved. And, I mean, unlike a collaboration agreement, yeah. for example, it's not we're going to do a thing for a fixed purpose. Mm-hmm. It's we're going to cooperate for a much bigger, broader ambition. So what? What are the what are the next things we might be seeing Portsmouth International Port bringing into that ecosystem and no, working with? Yeah, absolutely. So we're really lucky that we did all of that hard work in Shape UK because there's lots of opportunities out there at the moment, especially in maritime, for funding for different types of innovation to help decarbonise the industry. So one of the most recent um, pots or grant that came up was ZEVI, which is Zero Emissions Vessel and Infrastructure. So it's a £77 million grant from the DFT and it covers three different strands of decarbonisation activities and we have collaborated with IOTICS and others on a bid which is very exciting (laughs) Um, and has been very stressful but with the applications in now, so it's in the lap of the gods and we're waiting to hear back if we've been available for an interview Um, but what we would really like to do in that project is 
expand on the work that we did in Shape UK. Um, and what we're hoping is to show that the work that we've done before can be made even better by working still together and with other different bodies. So we're working with a vessel owner. We're hoping to get different ports involved in the project. And it goes back to what you said earlier about you know, people being sometimes cagey or um, worried about sharing different types of commercially sensitive information. You know, we really want to tackle those kinds of um, um, barriers because if ports are going to decarbonise, people need to be more honest about what they're getting up to because what works in some ports might not work in others. And if we're able to share our learnings throughout the entire project, if we're lucky enough to get this money, we have a responsibility to tell people and to share with people about what's gone well, what hasn't gone well, and how useful our solution is. Um, But yeah, so we're really excited because we're hoping the IOTICS part to really delve into what data is available here at the port and Sophie, one of your team who I love, um, she's doing lots of work on knowledge graphs and different streams of work so that we can really have a more holistic idea of our energy demands in the port, the vessels that are coming in, what they're doing, what they'll need from us without giving too much away about the project. Um, so yeah, it's very, very exciting. And I, I love this this point about the honesty necessary mm. to move forward because I think one of the 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 elements of having an honest system and an honest way of operating is trust Mm -hmm. so in the same way that um your your port leader mike is has provided a trusted environment in which people can come with suggestions and they can come and try things it seems to me that what you're doing with this ecosystem at pip is also enabling a kind of evolving trust of well look come in and start and then you'll see what we're starting to do and you'll you'll develop that trust which means that people lose their fear of weaponizing of data they lose their yeah. fear that they're going to be beaten you know your your customers who you're going back to now around pim 2.5 and pim 10 are are being are being told okay well you might be able to improve here and here's how we might be able to help you as opposed to having the stick it's, it's, there's a lot of carrot yeah. in this and I, and i think that evolution is really powerful no, yeah, it's really, really exciting. I'm so, I'm so hopeful for it. You know, I mean, it's difficult because when you're involved in a bid, you get so sold, don't you? And you're just like, there is nothing wrong with our application. This is going to get 110 percent from the from the markers. But, um, but I genuinely feel as if it will make such a difference, and it will make a difference not just for port operators, but for vessel owners and for different SMEs who are providing these solutions. Um, and it will mean something to the people of Portsmouth as well. You know, if we're able to reduce as many emissions as we've calculated, it's going to be a game changer. It really is. Have you always worked in environmental and sustainability pieces? No, this is my first job in the industry. Um, So ever since I left school, I didn't go to university. Um, I I wanted to go on holidays with my friends. So I um, found a job and that's what I did. And I worked in high street banking. I worked for TSB um, and then me and my partner, we moved to Newcastle and I started working for Virgin Money and I did tons and tons of different jobs. Um, I worked in marketing, I worked in continuous improvement and cultural change and I was just looking around for the thing that when I landed it, I would be like, right, 
this is the reward for all those times in contact centres, you know, <laughs> helping people with their mortgage applications, being shouted at. Um, but I never, I never found it, and it was, it was a funny little time of life. It was a trifecta of rubbishness. It was, I was in a job that I didn't really like. Um, I had to work from home because it was COVID, and if you don't think you like your job normally just wait until you have to do it in your spare room god that was awful and then we had a bit of a family um situation as well and it was all very very sad and just rubbish and when you have those things happen you're just like i can't be going nine to five in a job that i think who am i helping a big bank you know where am i actually going to start helping people finding a purpose and doing something that i absolutely love so i was super super lucky because me and my partner were in the position where i could leave my job in lockdown and i could start going to university and work part time um and so that's exactly what i did so i joined the open university um and i studied in my spare room for for the first year and i study environmental science and i absolutely love it um and then i found that the hours with my part-time job and then with my studying, I had a bit of free time. So I would ring my local council and say, hello, I'd like to speak to your environment department. And they'd say, why? And I'd be like, I'd like to come and help you because you've declared climate emergency and I'm sure you'll need help. Um, and I have a day a week where I don't work. So can I come and help you? Um, and after lots of pestering, they said yes. And so I went in and I started helping them with a community engagement strategy. Um, but my partner, he's in the forces. And so we got the call and we had to move. Um, so I did the same when I found out I was moving to Portsmouth. So I was looking on the website and I was about to start bombarding people and saying, let me help you. I'll, I'll work for you for free. And, you know, all of this, because I felt like working within the community, you'd be open or um, you would experience change at a grassroots kind of level, you know. You'd be able to go out there within communities and start actually helping people um, a bit more quickly. Um, and I was learning so much in my degree, and I was like, I'm going to be able to help people. This is where I'm going to be able to make a change. So I was looking on the Portsmouth City Council website and a job for the port came up and I had no idea why a job for a port was on a council website. <laughs> but it sounded amazing. It was an environmental and sustainability coordinator role and it sounded great. And so there was a number on there and I rang and I was like, why, why is this job for the port up on the council's website? And I was chatting away to this lovely man and I said, listen, I don't have the qualification that you're looking for yet. I'm still studying these are my grades, this is my background, is there any point in me applying? Would you interview me? And he was like, yeah, no problem. And so I got my interviews and I was lucky enough to get the job. And uh, the port were brilliant because they were they saw how much I loved my degree. And I'm doing it to prove something to myself as well, you know. I never went to university when I was younger because I didn't think I'd be any good at it. But I have a lot of passion for the environment and for sustainability, but I didn't understand the science. I wasn't really a sciencey person when I was younger. And so I thought to myself, if someone at university can teach it to me, then I can communicate that to anyone because I'm good with talking to people and good at communicating. And if I understood the science, then maybe that would be the winning ticket. And so 
the port were very open to me going part-time with them and then still being able to do my degree. And it's just worked out ever since, to be honest. I uh, love this story, Ellie. <laughs> I, it makes my heart sing um, that someone can experience such tragedy, but you, you also have the kind of environmental stress of COVID and then you have the longitudinal yeah. sort of wearing down of, of you know, I'm just in an I'm in a career and industry that doesn't suit me and I'm not getting what I want from it and it doesn't fulfill my purpose. Mm -hmm. And then you were the change you wanted to see. You thought, right, okay, and and I also and I haven't heard you speak on this before about that recognition that I have this particular set of skills. I can communicate, I can I can influence, I can be active, but I'm lacking this bit over here which I I really need. And rather than trying to fudge it or bridge it or whatever you're like okay well then I'll go learn that bit and yeah. I'll, I'll bring them together and has it been what you expected oh my god I've absolutely loved it I've, honestly I look back at the last few years of my life and I'm so happy I did it but I always check myself because you know I'm very privileged to be able to have said oh I'm going to quit my job and go part-time and then go to uni not everyone can do that and I think I owe it to my partner, myself, you know, my family for being so, so supportive. Um, but no, I, d I don't regret it for a second. I think it's the best decision I ever made. And I absolutely love it. And I mean, over such a, uh, comparatively, I, I realise it'll have felt like an incredible journey, both, yeah. both geographically and... and... <laughs> it's only about two years, that, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. So yeah, Exactly. So over, over what's com comparatively speaking, quite a short period. I mean, mm. Where next? Because, you know, we were talking just then about Zevi and the yeah. other things the port are doing that are really making change. But for Ellie herself, mm -hmm. where where next? I mean, what, what more can we do? Where can we go? I know. It, I think about this all the time. Because if you'd have asked me two years ago, Ellie, you're going to work in a port and this is what you're going to be doing day in, day out, I'd have laughed, you know. I, the closest I'd had to do with maritime is... I would go to the Army v Navy game every year with my dad <laughs> and I wasn't supporting the Navy. Um, but yeah, that's the closest I'd had to do with it. And I honestly don't see myself, at least for now, doing anything different. I love my job. I, I literally go into work every day and I know it sounds cliche and everyone's like, oh, no days are the same. But it honestly isn't. The maritime sector has so much investment, so much technology and innovation happening and you can do things and you see what the impact of your of what you're doing you know you can work on a project and it's not just saving money it's not just making things work better it's actually taking emissions out and you know that that is going to improve the situation that we're in and it goes so i have this little quote that i write in all of my notebooks and you're going to think i'm really sad but it's this quote and it's how i feel at work is the quote is, um, I can't do all the good the world needs, but the world needs all the good I can do. And I feel like I'm doing all the good I can do at the port. That's how I feel. Well, I think I think that's astounding. And I think it's, particularly from a kind of outsider viewpoint, it's incredible that um, the way you talk about maritime, because I have always thought of maritime as quite a traditional industry. Yeah. You know, you, you were talking about the DPOMs earlier and mm -hmm. who they know it all and whenever I've been at the fringes of maritime in the past, it's been lots of people who've sort of done it man and boy and 
I use man and boy deliberately, you know, yeah. often male centric, done it a long time and it's big diesel ships and I've been there all my life and you know, yeah. I may have had one or two different roles, but there's there's not a lot of kind of moving around or, or trying different things. And then, but then like you say, it's actually an industry with a lot of investment. There's a lot of technology going on. There's a lot of international coordination and collaboration happening. Yeah. Um, have you Have you seen that? Uh, juxtaposition between the two worlds I think being in an environment and sustainability role you're really lucky because you do get to see kind of the newer side of things coming in and being a woman as well in maritime so we went to a event at the BPA so the British Ports Association and they hold I think it's every three four months an environment and sustainability working group and the amount of young women in that room is really really refreshing because my experience in the port or well not necessarily just the port but in the sector was a lot of men I, my sister calls it male, stale and pale. Um, so, you know, it was the classic, but it's not how it is anymore. You know, you go into these environment working groups and it is a lot of young women and a lot of STEM people coming in and wanting to make a difference and being able to make a difference in the industry. Um, so it's definitely refreshing. And I don't I, I understand what you mean. <laughs> and there are characters like that. You know, there's some people at the port and I've never met anyone like them. And I think people should write books about them because I feel like they'd have an interesting story to tell. So um, we've spoken a little bit about the stuff that we've done together and, and the kind of state of the now-ish. I recognise that some of the things we've touched on are um, later this year or into next year. But um, with that 2030, 2050 goal, what excites you for the next stage for Portsmouth in particular? I mean, what what are the things that you see either on the horizon or over the horizon that you think, yeah, this is real stuff that we can do or could exploit or could drive towards for that impactful benefit uh, for the betterment of the world? So the things that I know that the poor will definitely be involved in in the next couple of years, or at that I'm very hopeful at least, is in and around shore power. So shore power is... A glorified extension lead is how I explain it. A glorified <laughs> and expensive extension lead. Um, so basically, when, when ships come to birth, they still have to perform different, um, you know, hoteling loads when they're, when they're at birth. Things like running air conditioning and keeping the electrics on and heating in the winter and all of that kind of stuff. So they run their engines when they're at the port. So this might be, and I'm only using them because you mentioned them earlier as a customer. So something like a Brittany Ferry yep. that's coming into Portsmouth yep. Port is sat at its birth, its little area that it, it goes into. Um, and then while it's there, where you have in towns to kind of please turn your engines off if you're stationary, um, obviously customers getting on and off, people working on the ship and so on, don't want to either be freezing cold or boiling hot. So or you... work in the dark. <laughs> or yes. work in the dark. <laughs> quite quite important for the health and safety aspect to keep the lights on. Uh, understood. But, <laughs> but yeah, so it's on, a, it's on a smaller generator. It's not their full engines, but auxiliary engines are still used and they're burning either things like MGO, which is marine gas oil, or different ones. We do have different fueled vessels coming in and out of the port now on LNG, so liquefied natural gas. So they are better for air quality, um, but they still do produce carbon emissions. Um, so 
so with our with our port when they're coming in and out these they still need to idle those engines and i always compare it to those cars like you have just now just imagine a massive car idling its engines for sometimes hours at a time and you know we have ambitions of welcoming more and more cruise vessels in and those cruise vessels are bigger and they have more hoteling demands and they will be there for longer. So we need to have a solution for them to be able to plug in and run off electric whilst they're there. And that's what shore power is. It's often referred to as cold ironing as well. Um, so, yes, being able to plug in those vessels, that's something that's really, really going to help us. It's not a suitable solution for every single port, though, because... Not every single port, number one, has a customer who's demanded it, like we do. So Brittany Ferries, they've got those LNG vessels that I mentioned before. They're bringing out an LNG hybrid vessel. So what that means is that when they are what they call channeling, which is when they're coming in between France or Spain and us here at the port, before they get to Portsmouth Island, they will switch to battery propulsion um, and they'll be able to come through the port, through the harbour and produce no emissions. But they need to be able to plug in, recharge, and then be sent back out within probably, what, between 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so shore power is part of that solution for us. And we're very, very fortunate. We've managed to secure an extra grid capacity from SSEN. So that will be coming in the next couple of years. So shore power for us, definitely on the horizon. But things that I'd really like to look into and understand more, because I don't understand them now, um, but I think it will play a big role in the future, is being able to provide or bunker um, different fuels in and around the port as well. So what role will hydrogen play in the future? Ammonia, you know, all of those different options that are coming in and around. So lots of ports are kind of hedging their bets. Um, it's really interesting, though, if you look at ports in France, there's some ports in France that do everything. Instead of just hedging their bets and waiting for one thing, they've said, OK, well, we're going to get ready for ammonia and hydrogen and we're going to provide shore power and we're going to do this and that. And if one of them sticks, then it's been worth the investment. So it's really, really strange because everyone's waiting for different parts. But us here in Portsmouth, because of that additional grid capacity, because we've got the end user, I know shore power will be part of our journey. And I think that's a fantastic, uh, you know, the kind of, recognizing a need up front and also it speaks back to your kind of holistic strategy piece that you were talking about a little while ago of you know lng is great as an improvement on a type of thing yeah. and it yes it would help with the emissions bit but it doesn't help with the car the the the, the carbonization piece it's a step um but also recognizing the the tapestry and the complexity of different fuels it, you know it's unlikely to be um and some of this is my opinion, obviously, but it's unlikely to be that one will win out globally. You know, the whole world will have moved to ammonia and that's it and we're done here and that will have no other impact. Mm -hmm. So how you manage that complexity and the tapestry of what you're doing, recognising that some ports, you were talking about space, and you know, some ports may have the space to say, well, hell, we'll have five, six parallel infrastructures for whatever may be, in, in the example of some of the French ports. Um, but, you know, Portsmouth's ability to be flexible and adaptive seems to me an incredibly ambitious, but probably, if I may write, approach to trying to deal with the complexity of what may come. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we're talking about as well, is that that obligation, you know, we've secured this additional grid capacity and I feel we really need to put it to good use. You know, it could have been 
others elsewhere who needed that additional grid capacity. A lot of people in decarbonisation are just turning to electric and it could have needed to go to a new housing estate or a hospital or something like that. So if we are using it, we have to use it in the smartest way, which is what we're hoping to achieve during the project as well, is having that really good view and understanding of what we're using our energy demands for um, and make sure we're utilising it all, you know? I I think one of the things that blows me away whenever we talk is the seeming complete lack of silos in your thinking. Uh, which is which is great and obviously ties very closely to to how we approach the world but that it would be very easy as a port even a municipally owned port to be like well this is this is our world and this is what we're working on and it's already complex enough with its obligations and due process and governance and so on but that piece you were just talking about around seeing that shore power is a burden on a grid that could have gone elsewhere mm-hmm. and as a result how you're then seeing the interconnectedness of Portsmouth City Council and Portsmouth Port and its wider obligations, I think is fascinating. And is does Portsmouth City Council and the port have a good... Re- I mean, I realise they're sort of the same thing, but yeah. they obviously have slightly separate operation pieces. Is, is that across the board a school of thought about this kind of balancing of priorities and, and where resources are spent? I feel that it is. And I feel as if Mike's had a really important role to play in that, especially in the last few years since he's been um, port director. And, you know, I was given some really, really great advice by people at the port as soon as I came, which was get yourself over to the Guildhall, you know, meet your counterparts over there and start building some good relationships because every department in the council will have their own strategic priorities, whether it be housing, whether it be regen, whether it be, you know, whoever. Just make sure that you've kind of got your eyes and ears over there so that people know the good work that we're doing and when and how we'll be able to collaborate. So, for example, I've got a really great connection over there with our transport team and um, she does tons and tons of work with all of the clean air quality strategies across the city so you know we always link up and I say if you ever need any information from our air quality monitors or if we can ever collaborate on anything and it all kind of pins and comes together Um, so there is definitely a good open line of communication between us and the council and I think that they can see that what we're doing has a direct benefit you know we employ you know I think it's in directly over two and a half thousand people across the area and then indirectly like you know five and a half thousand and we bring in money to the local community and the better we do the better the city of Portsmouth will do really um so yeah I think I think the relationship is there and I think it is a positive one so my counterpart over at the council is a lady called Christina and I always describe her job as like a hundred times harder than mine because I've only just got the little port to try and sort out. She's got the entire island. Um, And, you know, we work really closely together on lots of different things. We've just got a bit of funding again from um, Innovate UK, which was a fund called um, Pathfinders. And we've managed to get some money for a feasibility study with the University of Portsmouth to try and discover some non-technical human barriers to decarbonisation and what that looks like across the city. And we have our own little working group of that and we get to share all of the challenges that we're coming up against. 
So yeah, so we do we do get to work with each other quite frequently. And I think it's good from, you know, a bid perspective, you know, being able to look and say it's a local authority, but they are also coming in with, you know, a big industry body, you know, an entire port that's able to come in and um, collaborate on these different things. I, I mean, that Pathfinder project, I, I wasn't aware of, and I find it fascinating that that's very much the socio bit of the kind of socio technical change that we might need. You know, we've spoken a bit on that around the kind of honesty and trust and, and open communication that you seem to have with your colleagues, which, you know, I have to love, right? I mean, the, the, I, it makes sense that if you've got all the bananas in the world coming through Portsmouth, they presumably, they, <laughs> they presumably are shipped from Portsmouth around the rest of the country on lorries and trucks and trains and whatever else. Um, so, it wouldn't make sense to draw a, a false boundary at the edge and say, oh, yeah, this is the footprint of, yeah. of those loads. But also then that human aspect to how you get to decarbonisation. And what what are the sorts of, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a new project, so I'm not expecting like, and this is the answer and we know it. Yeah. But when you look ahead at the challenges that Portsmouth Port and the council face and, and the UK in general getting towards it, do you have some... Uh, sort of draft of, of what you think those challenges might be and, and where they might sit? So within the project, they define it into different sections and it's around power, manufacturing, and there's another one and it's escaped me. Um, and we actually have kickoff meetings about it this week. <laughs> so your question's <laughs> such a good time <laughs> because we're going to sit down with our partners um, and really we've we've done a really big exercise on finding out all of the stakeholders across the city. And now is our time to be able to sit down and start mapping it all out. So again, that might have to be a part two <laughs> because we don't know what they're looking like just yet. When it was originally put through, which was quite a few months ago now, a non-technical human barrier that the port identified was our inability to get a grid upgrade because we were coming up against lots of different um, challenges and we were like well how can those um, applications or how can that process be better between government departments because you've got you know energy here but there were also transport the department for transport there each trying to decarbonise, but we need an end to both of them, really, because we feel like we have such a justifiable use for this energy, but they're not talking to one another, are they? You know, they're working separately on decarbonisation targets. So that was one of the ones that we had identified, but thankfully we've got our grid upgrade now, so I can take that one off the list. <laughs> Excellent. How can people join you on the journey? What can they do to come with Ellie, either directly or indirectly or in their own lives, to kind of go on this journey that you're going on? Hmm. I really, really want to spend a lot of time working on my decarbonisation strategy. I'm talking months and months of my time and effort and energy because I don't want it to just be a tick box sort of exercise and I really want to understand how it can be easier for different ports or different transport hubs or different pockets of the industry to be able to understand exactly what kind of fight that they're up against, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's what I'd like to dedicate a lot of my time and energy towards. And I think it's going to be really, really difficult, to be honest. 
I think that it's going to have a lot of sleepless nights and headaches and not really understanding what's going on and looking at countless spreadsheets and thinking, where the hell am I going to start from here? But there has to be an easier way to do it. You know, there has to be a way that we can simplify an approach for people to be able to look at their businesses, at what they're doing and say, this is this is what I'm doing and these are the steps I need to take to make it better. And that's what I will be focusing a lot of time and a lot of my energy on for the next, I would say, easily a year. And I think it's so necessary. And one of the things that really came across powerfully to me in all of this is understanding the size of the fight you're in, mm-hmm. but also recognizing you're in the fight. I mean, you're when you were talking about being up in the Northeast and calling the local council and saying, well, you've declared yeah. <laughs> that, that you have this emergency, that we are in a state of crisis, yeah. therefore you must be doing something. Mm-hmm. And I think that isn't actually as understood, to come back to that word, as, as people say. I think it's very easy to say we're in a climate crisis oh, yeah. and then go... Okay, cool. So we'll just all carry on as as usual. And I think some people as well are so overwhelmed by the scale of the problem that they just freeze and they choose that option of, oh, okay, well, it's too big of a problem to solve. Someone else will think of it. And I think that's why, like, being able to start working with your local council or local groups, it will really make you feel a lot better. There's so many people out there doing the good fight and... You know, I do think, and there's so many clever people out there. They are so there are so many big brains out there who are just waiting for the opportunity to be able to test these ideas and solutions that they have. And if all that you can do is provide that environment for them to be able to do it, you're still helping. And that's where I think the port definitely has a role. We talk about being a living laboratory for green technology. That was a slogan that came out, I think maybe like six or twelve months ago. And I and I think that we should proper, you know, hold the port accountable for that. You know, if if there are ideas and there are solutions out there that you think are going to be able to help us in this position, then I'm really happy to be working in a place that's open to being able to trial them. Excellent. Well, thanks to our guest, Ellie Howe at Portsmouth International Port. Uh, Ellie is on LinkedIn if you want to follow her. So it's E-L-L-Y-H-O-W-E. Thank you to Sam at the Bristol VoiceOver Studios for having us. The Aortics podcast is a Snaffle podcast production. Thank you to Joe Davis for the graphics. And if you know of an inspiring human who's bringing technology and people together to make a real difference today, do get in touch. You can reach us at podcast at iotics.com. I look forward to seeing you next time.